What's up everybody, Gen X Dividend Investor here. In this video I'm going to do a full update on my multi-million dollar dividend portfolio, which recently hit a new all-time record of 90,000 US dollars of dividends a year. I'll also show you a tool in Fidelity which compares my portfolio's performance to the S&P 500, which was an ask by a subscriber who wondered how my portfolios have been doing lately as things trend down. Finally, I'll end this with a heartbreaking comment I received on a recent video, which will serve as both a warning sign and a learning lesson to you. So if you like transparent dividend videos like this, then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. To kick this off, I wanted to explain that I share my portfolio and information in hopes to educate and inspire people as to how dividends can literally change your life, not because I have some need to flex my portfolio over the internet. There'll always be people in the world with bigger portfolios than you, and those that probably have smaller portfolios than you. That doesn't matter and what someone else has shouldn't make you feel good or bad. Each person has their own realities, so comparing yourself to someone else, while understandable, is pointless. Instead just listen and learn and determine how you can benefit from others' experiences to ultimately improve your own financial path. If you're someone who gets irked or envious or whatever when you see someone else has a decent portfolio, then I encourage you to realize that you can control those negative emotions. Learn how to be motivated by what you see rather than anything else. I'll show you what you can achieve if you don't quit and you keep investing in decent stuff for decades. And for the people who say dividend investing is too slow so they don't start, well to me that's like saying working out doesn't give results overnight so why work out? Go into investing with a get rich slowly mindset, not get rich quick. You work out for your physical health and you invest for your financial health. Don't tell yourself that you can't become rich because that would be lying. Start building your financial fortress with one brick, and then another, and then another. You can do it and you'll become wealthy if that's what you choose to make happen. Live frugally and invest. Compounding is real. Decades of slow and steady investing lets you achieve amazing things. Okay, now let's jump into Fidelity. For this video I'm using screenshots instead of recording it live like I did last time because it takes me hours upon hours of blocking out my account numbers as I scroll around as I literally have to go frame by frame to make sure I didn't miss anything. Okay, I took this screenshot the weekend of March 12th. I have three main Fidelity dividend accounts which are on the upper left of the screen. The first I call my dividend IRA which is worth around $1.14 million. The next account is my dividend taxable account which is worth $1.36 million US dollars. And then my last account is my wife's rollover IRA account worth $173,000. In total those three accounts are worth $2.67 million US dollars. It's important to recognize that even though we're in a market pullback right now, we've been in a historic bull run since 2008, pandemic aside. Which means that most long-term portfolios like mine are still overinflated right now, and the general stock market is still expensive relative to norms. Thus, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a 50% correction, or whatever. I also wouldn't be surprised if we go sideways for a decade, or if we go up. That's the market. Of course, a great thing about investing in blue-chip dividend companies is that your cash flow tends to keep growing, even if the market is crashing. Sometimes good companies can stop paying a dividend or can cut it, but if you have a diverse portfolio you should be fine and you'll probably trend up over the long run, as long as you don't panic out of your positions when times are tough. Anyways, I created this dividend view of my accounts which lists all the stocks alphabetically and includes some key fields Fidelity normally doesn't show like pay date, x date, and an estimate of how much dividend income that each stock should yield over the next 12 months. At the top is SPACs, which is a Fidelity money market account I use for cash deposits or when I get dividends. It pays a tiny amount of interest, so that's better than zero, I guess. You see three SPACs rows listed, one for each of my three main dividend accounts. So one account has around $1,200 of cash in it, another account has $4,500 in it, and the last account has around six grand of cash. 
As I go through my stocks, you'll notice that I don't have any fractional shares, other than my BTI position I just got. Because when I transferred over from E-Trade about a year ago, it sold all the fractional shares I had, leaving me with whole shares. Plus, now that I'm retired, I'm no longer dripping shares, so they've remained whole. Okay, the first stock I have in two different accounts is Apple. I have 408 shares in one account, and that's worth about 63 grand. And you can see that Apple pays out 22 cents per share per quarter at a very low 0.56% yield, which means it generates about $359 of dividends a year. I have another account with 1,330 shares of Apple worth almost 206 grand, and that position yields an additional $1,170 a year. So in total, I have 1,738 shares of Apple worth about 269 grand, which yields $1,529 a year in dividends. It'll be easier to see my total quantity of shares per stock when I jump in my spreadsheet. Next, you see three rows of AbbVie, which means I hold it in each of my accounts. First is 269 shares of AbbVie worth about 40 grand, which yields $1,170 a year. Then I have 416 shares of AbbVie in another account worth 62 grand, which yields $2,346 a year. And then I have AbbVie in my third account where I have 247 shares worth almost 37 grand and which generates $1,393 of dividends a year. Then we go to my new BTI position. Normally when I buy I go with whole shares, which is what I've done for so long. But when I bought BTI this time I thought I'd do something new, go with inputting a dollar amount to let Fidelity figure out how many shares and fractional shares that would buy me. My BTI buy cash came from some non-dividend assets I sold off, as well as some dividend cash I had in my retirement accounts. I'll probably buy a bit more BTI to get my position to my desired size. Even though I don't need more income, it's still fun to see the numbers go up. Anyways, the reason I started a position in BTI was because I calculated it was quite cheap and because I liked their greater international exposure. Plus, they have a better positioning with their heated tobacco products, so I'd like to capitalize on that. It's been a long time since I've held an international dividend stock, so I'm interested to see how things like international fees and such play out. Luckily, I don't have to deal with international taxation since they're a British company and I'm an American. You can watch my other videos to understand my perspective about investing in sin stocks, broadly speaking. They aren't something I'd be investing in for long-term growth, but I think they are reasonable from an income perspective. Plus, I added BTI because I wanted to mitigate the AT&T dividend cut that is happening in April. So the 90 grand of dividends per year that I call out in my title is the amount I'm estimated to make in the upcoming 12 months, assuming AT&T does their dividend cut. And if they don't for some reason, then I'll be making more than 90 grand. When the cut happens, they should be giving me shares of a new streaming company called Warner Brothers Discovery, ticker WBD, to compensate for the loss. I plan to keep some WBD in my non-dividend portfolio, as long term I think it'll do well. My guess is that out of the gate, WBD will see some downward pressure from people who are selling it since it won't have a dividend, and then slowly I imagine it should turn around assuming it performs well. But I obviously don't know what will happen, either the short term or long term. My first account has a small position of BTI at 28.9 shares worth 1100 bucks, which generates $106 a year. Then I have 2113 shares of BTI in my taxable account worth about 84 grand. And finally I have another small 146.7 shares in my last account worth 5800 bucks. Then I have Caterpillar in one account, and in this case it's my wife's retirement account, and have 207 shares worth 44 grand, which yields $919 a year in dividends. Then I have Colgate Palmolive in two accounts. The first is 409 shares worth 30 grand, which yields $768 a year. The next is 258 shares worth 19 grand, which yields $485 a year. Okay, now I'll go to the next screen of positions. For now, I'll just quickly call out the positions, and then we'll go over the total quantity I have when I review them in my spreadsheet tracker. 
I like to show my stuff in Fidelity first because sometimes I get new subscribers who don't believe I actually have a portfolio if I just show my spreadsheet. If you're one of those people who still doesn't believe me right now, then look at my Watch Me Buy prior videos where I bought stocks live in E-Trade and in Fidelity and showed you my portfolios in those videos. Okay, so here you can see Chevron, Duke, Home Depot, J&J, JP Morgan Chase, Kimberly Clark, Coca-Cola, Leggett and Platt, McDonald's, 3M, and Altria on this page. Now let's go to the final page of my stocks. So here we see Microsoft, Realty Income, Pepsi, Pfizer, Procter & Gamble, Philip Morris, Starbucks, Southern Company, AT&T, Travelers Insurance, and ExxonMobil. So in total, that's 27 distinct dividend stocks across three accounts. Okay, now let's jump into my spreadsheet dividend tracker tool, which is valuable data that Fidelity doesn't have, like my portfolio's average weighted yield and dividend CAGR, along with neat things like how much my dividend income is expected to grow each year into the future, both if I am reinvesting the dividends versus if I'm just taking out the cash. After that, I'll give you some more context to my background, and then I'll jump back into Fidelity to show you some graphs which compare my portfolio performance to how the S&P 500 has done over various time periods. Okay, here we are in my spreadsheet. Let me zoom in. So you can see it easier. So first we have the ticker and I highlight the ticker color based on the pay date. So it's kind of visually draws me to information. So if it's highlighted in yellow, that means it's going to pay out within the next month. And if it's highlighted in cyan, it means it's paying within the next week. And if it's highlighted in green, that means it's paying out today. So for example, in this case, you see Pepsi is paying out within 30 days. And if you go over here, you can see the pay date shows you 331 it's paying out. So you have the ticker, the logo, the account it's in, the quantity of shares. So for example, Apple, I have 1,738 shares and it's 10.05% of my portfolio. These are the closing prices on Friday. Right now it's Sunday when I'm recording this. And I have this set so that it updates every minute during the week. I'm using a, a data service called IEX to do that. It's really helpful. You can see the market value on my Apple shares, 269 grand about. The X date and pay date, all this is automatic. The dividends per pay period and the dividends per year. And then we go into the three-year dividend CAGR and a few other useful fields. This is a handy one where I automatically pull the dividends per share per year off the web and off IEX in this case. And then you can override the automatic shares if you want to change them. So for example, and then it highlights them if they're different. So in this case, Pepsi announced a dividend hike and IEX will pull it in when it goes live, but I wanted to reflect the amount in my spreadsheet. So I put it in there. Or in this case for AT&T, it's currently at $2.08, but I know they're going to be dropping it down to one eleven, And so I put that in so that the manual overrides the automatic. So let's go over the positions. We have Apple, 1,738 shares at worth 269 grand. Microsoft, 786 shares for 220 grand. Altria, 3,255 shares at 164 grand. Johnson & Johnson, 967 shares, 163 grand. ExxonMobil, 1,893 shares at 161 grand about. AbbVie, 932 shares, worth about 139 grand. Pepsi, 768 shares, worth 118 grand. Duke, 1,077 shares, for 114 grand. And then I'll just kind of go through the market values. AT&T, 113 grand. Philip Morris, about 113 grand. 
Chevron, 111 grand worth. Procter & Gamble, 110 grand. Coca-Cola, 96 grand. McDonald's, about 93. BTI, 91 grand. If I scroll down a bit, we see Realty Income, about 85 grand. Southern Company, about 77. 3M, 76. Kimberly Clark, 65. JPM, about 58 grand. Colgate Palmolive, we have 49 grand worth. Caterpillar, 44. Leggett and Platt, 35 grand. Home Depot, 31 grand. Travelers Insurance, 27 grand. Starbucks, 25. And Pfizer, about 25. Altogether, I have about 30,000 shares of stock. And the on Friday close, my portfolio was down 0.92%, which means it was down 24, 25 grand on the day. And overall, it's about 2.68 million. And then we can see that the overall dividends add up to 90,053, and that includes the AT&T cut that I've put in the manual field so it overrides the automatic amount. And we see the portfolio's average weighted yield is 3.36%, and the portfolio's three-year dividend CAGR is 6.93%. And we see the portfolio's average weighted PE is about a 24 have all the different sectors in here. The portfolio's average weighted beta is 0.81. And then here we've got a kind of a calendar view of all the dividends that come in. So on to the left, we have everything in history. So September of 21, October of 21, etc. And then the this kind of colored column represents today. And then we have estimates going into the future. So you can look at things in the past to see when things were raised. So for example, in January, Kimberly Clark paid $636. And then in April, we see it's going up to $647, which means they did a, a slight hike. It could also mean I bought something, but in this case, I know I didn't buy any, so it's just a hike. Or for example, Colgate Palmolive paid out $300 in February, and they're going to be paying out $313 in May, and then again in August. So you can see basically every three months how the income goes. So this month is a new record at $9,008 of dividends paid out. And then again, in three months, it'll be the same amount. So kind of the alternating amounts are 9,000, about 7,000, and then 6,400. And then again, 9,000, 7,000, 6,400. This amount right here represents the last 12 months. And because some of these were before hikes happened, then the last 12 months will always be less than the go forward 12 months. The go forward 12 months, you see the amount is 90,000. So that's kind of the go forward estimate of what the income is based on the current uh, dividend amounts. This doesn't assume any hikes or anything. This is just the amount that it is going forward. And then these two rows are fun. It is the estimated annual income with no drip, which is how I'm configured, versus an estimated annual income if I, my drip was enabled. So right now, the current year, it's at about 90 grand. You can see this will grow to 96 grand, assuming the CAGR holds. Year two goes up to 102 grand, year 310 grand, year 417 grand, etc. Versus if I was reinvesting those dividends, you can see how it grows faster. So. Here it would grow to 99 grand of income as opposed to 96 grand or 109 grand, 121, 133. And I modeled that out for 30 years, which is kind of fun to see. Obviously, it's unlikely that the CAGR would hold for that long, but it's possible. J&J's done it. Some other companies have done it. Um, you can see how crazy big it gets. So if it actually held the kind of CAGR that it has, then by year 30, even if I was not dripping, 
the portfolio would be making 671 grand a year or 1.5 million if I had been dripping that entire time. So for example, this is kind of another graphical view of how it grows over time between the blue, which is the no drip and the red, which is the drip. Here's a dynamically updating chart that shows the Dow prices, futures, S&P 500 and S&P 500 futures. So Friday, the S&P closed down 1.3%, but as we saw, I was down like 0.92%, so I was less down, and that's kind of what you'd expect would happen with my low beta. I tend to go less down on the down days and conversely less up on the up days, and I kind of like that by design. This is a fun little chart that shows my yearly passive income, and then it divides that by 12 for the monthly passive income. And the weekly average passive income, we can see is 1731. Daily average passive income, almost 250 bucks. And then that's an hourly average passive income of $10.28. And then I kind of translate that into an hourly average wage income when I compensate for things like vacation time and no taxes and all that kind of jazz. And then I've got a few dynamically generated graphs on near the bottom of the spreadsheet. So this is the portfolio value percentage by sector. And we can see technology is about 18.3%. Sin stocks are 13.8%, healthcare 12.2%, energy is 10.2%, consumer defensive 16.4%, utility 7.1%, communication services 4.2%, consumer cyclical 6.9%, real estate 3.2%, industrials 4.5%, and financials 3.2%. You can also go down and see the passive income by sector to see how it breaks out. And over here we have passive income by ticker and portfolio value by ticker. And then over here we have a estimated annual passive income of no drip versus drip. And I can scroll out a bit for that. So it's kind of fun to see how it grows over time. And you can see the power of compounding with dripping, how it grows so much faster. And here is a tab called the Dividends Receive Tracker. This is how you track your dividends as they come in. And then over time, you can see it adds a new month on the left automatically every month. And uh, so you can track when the amounts increase. That implies either you did a buy or they did a dividend hike. So, for example, AbbVie in February paid $1,314. And in November, they paid $1,211. And in August, they paid $861. So that's a combination of net new buys along with some dividend increases that they did. And then down on the bottom, you can see the monthly totals, how they've been trending. So for example, right now there's a, a few dividends that still need to come in for March. So Duke and Home Depot, McDonald's, Realty Income, Pepsi, they're all scheduled to come in, Travelers. And at the end of the month, we'll hit that 9,000 amount that we saw in the other view. And you can see in February, these were all actual. So February paid out. $5,900 in January paid out $7,157 and in December paid out $8,700. And then this is another helpful tool. We called it the stock comparison and you can put in two tickers and then it'll bring up some basic information about them. And for example, right here, it highlights the side, which is better. So Coca-Cola consecutive number of years of dividend increases 59 versus Pepsi's at 49. So it highlights the Coke side in green. The payout ratio is a little bit lower, the dividend yield. We have the dividend CAGR, Pepsi has a higher one, so that one goes in green. The current PE, some other forward PEs and some other things. 
we see kind of a trend of the stock price, how dividend payouts have trended over time. That gives you a different piece of information, how dividend yield has been trending. You see the quarterly EPS trends. Here we have how shares outstanding are trending. Pepsi looks more compelling. Assets versus liabilities for both of them. Quarterly revenue. Quarterly net income. Price free cash flow ratios and debt trends. And there's a variety of other tools we've created in the uh, spreadsheet. This is another fun tool. It's called the Portfolio Growth Simulator. So you can put in your portfolio value, your three-year average dividend CAGR, your portfolio's dividend yield, and how much you'd anticipate share price would go up and if you add any cash. So for example, let's say your portfolio is 30 grand and your CAGR was 6%. Let's say your starting yield is 3.5% and then you can leave that one alone. We can assume about an 8% increase in the stock price over time. We'll pretend you add in every quarter, I don't know, 200 bucks. And then this will show you where you start off at year one. Your account value would be at 30 grand and you'd be dripping $1,050. By year 10, your account value would be worth 93 grand. You'd be dripping 2,600 or 2,699, all the way down to theoretically year 50. Your account value would be 5 million and you'd be dripping 64 grand. So that's kind of fun. And you can see all the breakdown of the data down here. There's a bunch of other tools as well that are neat. We have tools which track your nightly portfolio history and your performance versus the S&P 500 and things like discounted cash flow calculators and stuff like that. So my spreadsheet is something that my upper tier Patreon members, aka the aristocrats and kings, get as one of the perks of being a member. I built my spreadsheet partnering with my friend Men8V, who started as a subscriber of mine and then came to be the moderator on my Discord and has been working with me to improve my dividend tracking tool. I do a lot of hands-on work supporting my Patreons who use my spreadsheet, so I'm nearing the capacity of how many people I want to handle. Thus, if you're interested in trying my dividend portfolio tracker spreadsheet, then sign up as a Patreon aristocrat sooner rather than later. Okay, now I'll share some background about me, and then I'll jump back into Fidelity to show you some graphs which compare my portfolio performance to how the S&P 500 has done over various time periods. So I've always been a very private person regarding my finances in real life, and none of my friends or relatives know I'm a multimillionaire, and in fact no one even knows that I'm doing YouTube other than my wife and kids. Remaining private lets me talk about things over the internet like my health and relationships and finances and such that I'd otherwise not feel comfortable sharing. Anyways, my quick TLDR is that I'm self-made, never won a lottery or been given a dime, and in fact started with a negative net worth when I inherited debt when I got married. I started my career as a programmer in the 90s after I graduated from college and eventually I moved into technology management. I've been investing for over 25 years and about half my portfolio just came from steady Eddie 401k contributions which I'd roll over into a retirement account when I left jobs and then the other half came from deposits into a taxable account over a long period of time. I made the mistake of not contributing into my wife's retirement account until relatively recently and most of her jobs didn't have 401ks as they were just hourly things. Thus, your takeaway should be that if you're married, to also focus on your significant other's accounts and or invest on their behalf, assuming you have enough cash to do that. I personally rarely maxed out my 401ks because I didn't make that much for a long time, so the amount I contributed wasn't anywhere near the cap, and then I also probably spent too much money on traveling and nice cars and such, and it wasn't until more recently that I found enjoyment in living frugally. So a takeaway is that consistent investments over decades can compound to large amounts, and then whenever you come into larger lump sums of cash, then look to invest it like I did when I recently sold a house and downsized. Over my life I've gotten experience with investing in stocks and bonds and real estate and such, and I've come to the conclusion that I prefer blue chip dividend investing over anything else. 
Now I've made some mega investing mistakes over my life, which I probably could have avoided had I been more financially literate, so kudos to you for educating yourself by watching financial videos like mine. I actually never watched YouTube videos about finance stuff until shortly before I started my channel. I've been married for over two decades now and have an awesome wife and two great kids. As I shared in my video called The Time I Sold All My Stocks, I have some risky health conditions that I was born with and that got worse over time. Though fortunately you couldn't tell anything was wrong with me if you met me in real life, but because of those issues I need to make extra sure that my family's financial security will be covered if I'm not here. Plus my wife is bad with numbers and finances, so having a dividend portfolio is the easiest way to automatically generate cash flow passively. Literally no other investment is as passive and simple, not to mention that it also automatically often trends up over time. Also, it's useful to understand that I started my YouTube channel as a way to document my investing experiences primarily for my kids, because I knew I had to go through multiple recurring risky surgeries in the short term and long term, thus I wanted to make sure they could learn from their dad even if he wasn't around. My wife convinced me to share my videos publicly, and those are the reasons why I started my channel a little over two and a half years ago. I'm glad she told me to do that because now making YouTube videos is my favorite hobby, and I really enjoy spending time on social media trying to positively influence people about investing. My other hobbies include gaming and movies and working out. Anyways, I achieved my goal of retiring before 50 because of dividends, and I did a video called What I Learned Living on Dividends for One Year that I recommend you watch if you're new to my channel. My social media stuff isn't something I'm doing for money, because my dividends cover my expenses, but the money is useful as a way to teach my kids how you can start your own business if you're willing to work hard. So for that reason, I still like to see the YouTube money and metrics go up, because all that is invaluable for my kids. Plus, I'm a gamer, so I've always liked seeing numbers go up. It's amazing to be doing something you love, especially something that lines up with your life's purpose, which in this case for me is to teach others about dividends. Now one question I sometimes get is why I just don't put my entire portfolio in something like QYLD so I'd be making $300,000 a year and it pays monthly on top of that. How can you lose? Well in my opinion QYLD makes more sense if you need cash flow to live and you aren't getting enough from solid blue chip companies and you aren't doing your own options and income strategies. But QYLD isn't great for stock appreciation as it's not meant for that. And my goal is generational wealth from a portfolio which pays my bills now but also tends to appreciate over time. I'm fortunate that I've built up enough of a portfolio to give me more income than I need coupled with it still is appreciating well. Plus my dividend CAGR lets my income trend up faster than something like a QILD. Side note, I saw some people mention on my Discord how they got surprised at doing their 2021 taxes because their QILD distributions were treated mostly as ordinary income or short-term capital gains rather than return on capital. So they ended up owing money in a way they didn't anticipate. That's one thing I love about holding qualified dividends in my taxable account, as those dividends end up being tax-free for me since they don't have wage income. It's neat to have an effective tax rate in the single digits, yet still be making a six-figure income. Anyways, if I needed more cash, then I might consider owning things like a Jeppy or Nusi or QLD or whatever. I wish Nusi had downside protection rather than crash protection, but then I guess its puts would be eating so much into its returns that the distributions would suffer too much. Thus, think of Nusi as crash protection, not downside protection. Speaking of crash protection, here's a related question I got this week on Instagram from someone named Cody. She said, Love listening to your content while I get ready to start a new portfolio solely dedicated to dividend investing. I had a question regarding loss mitigation. When you've started investing in a chosen stock, are you setting trailing stops or letting them roll in downturns and only selling if the fundamentals change? So Cody is talking about hedging your portfolio for downside protection, which is kind of like buying insurance to protect yourself against negative impacts. Insurance is obviously more precise than stock hedging, and with insurance you can be totally compensated for your loss minus a deductible. 
Anyways, hedges don't necessarily prevent all negative impacts from happening. However, if a crash does happen and you're properly hedged, the impact of the event should be reduced. But no, I don't set stop loss orders and I also don't buy puts. I've done both of those things in the past and they have the pros and cons. I'm fine now just riding the volatility with my diverse portfolio. I look at my stocks like businesses and as long as I believe in them and they're doing what I need, then what the stock price does on a day-to-day -day basis generally doesn't bother me. I believe my portfolio will trend up over time and acknowledge that there'll be times where I go down. Over the decades my overall portfolio value trends up and my income keeps trending up. I'm okay if we crash and we go sideways for the next 10 years, my dividends will keep paying my bills. Earnings over time wins out over everything, stock price eventually follows earnings and financial trends, so no need for me to worry about stock fluctuations or periods of fear or exuberance. I recognize how hard it is to time the market so I don't try. I think it's good for you to learn about ways you can hedge, and then do what you feel makes sense for you. Every hedging strategy has a cost associated with it. So before you decide to use hedging, you should ask yourself if the potential benefits justify the expense. Remember the goal of hedging isn't to make money, it's to protect from losses. Stop losses have their own pros and cons. A disadvantage is that a short-term price fluctuation could activate the stop and trigger an unnecessary sale. That could be a pro, of course, if you aren't monitoring your stocks and you want in and out. That can also be a con depending on how and when you might buy back in. Anyways, I normally answer questions like Cody's in my questions and answers videos I do every so often, so please follow me on Instagram at GenXDividendInvestor and send me any questions you have and I might feature your comment in a future video. Another question I get is if I use options like covered calls to make more income. I think using options like covered calls to potentially gas your income is often a good idea and you can watch why dividends are 10 times better than active income, which explains why I used to do options but no longer do. Make sure you research and educate yourself before trying options, then go slow and stay small. Options are about probabilities and risk versus reward, and there's never anything that is guaranteed with investing regardless of what you might hear. Many people do great with options, however sometimes people get overzealous or don't moderate what they're doing or go after riskier things like shorting stocks or writing naked calls and unfortunately they lose big. That actually reminds me of a comment I got this week on one of my videos which was heartbreaking. I'm gonna hide his name even though he posted it publicly. So he said, I recently took my entire dividend portfolio I accumulated over 10 years, around $250,000 worth, and sold, bought short term options contracts, and literally lost everything. I used to watch your videos all the time and then I made a reckless move. I'm 30 and I feel like I ruined my life. It's hard to be motivated to start over when I had a mini snowball already. I've been crying for weeks. And that sucks. This is what I wrote back to him. I said, I feel you. I lost 150 grand post-tax cash to a relative who promised me some real estate but years later they denied we had a verbal agreement. The good news is you are very young from an investing perspective. It sucks but you can start over from zero. Look for the positive things in your life. Can you see? Can you smell? Can you breathe without it hurting? Are you going to sleep tonight without being worried you might be killed? All those things are worth more than 250 k Don't try to rush getting your money back. Just start investing intelligently and down the road you'll be at a great spot again. Most people never invest and those that start usually start older with tons of debt. I have a relative who makes 300 k a year and is in their 50s but has $0 in savings and $0 in investments. So it's understandable to feel terrible for what happened. Now start to pick yourself up, go on a smarter, slower path, and eventually this will just be a tough lesson you learned. It's a sad panda. It really sucks to hear stories of investing that go bad. Jump on my Discord, lots of people you can chat with. Don't take this to mean options are bad. Instead learn that sometimes people get in over their heads and you need to take calculated and moderated risks and regardless don't give up when you make mistakes. 
Just keep learning and moving forward, and it's okay and understandable to feel bad about a mistake, but realize over time you'll feel better. Okay, now let's jump into Fidelity again. Here's a tool which shows you your account performance versus various indexes' performance over varying time intervals. I took this screenshot on March 12th of 2022, and the data they are using is up to February 28th, i.e. the last day of the previous month. Since I only moved into Fidelity a bit over a year ago, this data won't show my gains before then. But you can watch my video called My Portfolio vs. the SP500 if you want to see a longer historical performance of my stocks. Anyways, before we look at the performance of my accounts, I should probably tell you that I've honestly never cared exactly how my portfolio was doing relative to the SP500 as long as I was in the ballpark of it. I've just focused on investing in companies I believe will do well over the long run, buying them at good prices, and I had confidence that my approach would work out. Thus, being up or down a bit relative to the index was immaterial to me. Now, I think if you find that you're consistently underperforming the index, then you might want to reconsider your strategy. But I also realized that sometimes doing something you enjoy or are motivated by could be worth more than a few percentages of performance, as long as you understand the trade-offs you're making. Anyways, Fidelity shows us that the SP 500's one-month performance on the date ranges it's using says it's down 2.99%. Over that time frame, my rollover IRA is down 2.02%. My taxable account is down 1.7%. My IRA is down 3.96%. And overall, my accounts are down 2.71%. So you can see that I'm doing slightly better than the SP 500 and I'm less down over that short time frame, which is kind of immaterial, but there you go. If we look at year to date, we see that overall I'm down 2.19% and that's doing much better than the SP500, which is down 8.01%. Then if we look at my 12 month performance, we see that my rollover account is up 29.4%, my taxable account is up 21.77%, and my IRA account is up 19.52%. Overall, I'm up 21.14%, which is also beating the SP500, which is up 16.39%. That means I've outperformed the SP500 by 29% over the last 12 months. Cool. But that's still relatively a short time frame, so I wouldn't conclude too much. Anyways, Fidelity also lets you check into individual accounts and check their performance out. So this is what I see when I click into the detailed performance view for my IRA. We see it's at $1.14 million and its time-weighted one-year return is at 19.52%. You can also see that my IRA was at about 985 grand a year ago, and then it went up 192 grand as of February 28th due to market appreciation and dividends. Time-weighted rate of return, also known as investment rate of return, is commonly used to evaluate the performance of a fund or an investment manager. So that means how much the stock has gone up or down, including dividends, but doesn't include any deposits or withdrawals, so I like that metric when understanding your portfolio's performance. The other common one is money-weighted returns, which include your deposits and withdrawals. Thus, I prefer time-weighted returns. Anyways, this data is only for a year, so I wouldn't draw too big of conclusions and I wouldn't blindly copy me or anybody's portfolio, as my goals, risk tolerances, buy points, etc. are all unique to me. It's fine to get ideas from others, but then research them yourself and do what you think makes sense, but just don't blindly copy. Okay, Fidelity says my asset allocation is 96% in domestic stocks and 3% in foreign stocks, which is BTI in my case. The 1% that's missing must be the SPAC's cash amount that's rounding to zero. Cool. So I hope you enjoyed this video where I was reviewing my dividend portfolios. Speaking of portfolios, M1 Brokerage has a promotion running for a free $50 cash bonus for new accounts. The way it works is you click on my M1 referral link in the description of this video and then either open a brokerage account and fund it with $100 or open a retirement account and fund it with $500. Then you need to keep your money inside the new account for 30 days from the date of deposit to get the free referral cash. Make sure to check the details before you sign up to see what they're offering when you watch this video. 
Okay, now I'd like to shout out my latest Patreon aristocrats who have signed up since my last video. So thank you Stano561, and thank you Chauncey J, who signed back up. Aristocrats gain access to my dividend spreadsheet product that I use in this video, and they gain access to multiple private channels on my dividend Discord chat server, where I let my upper tier Patreons watch my videos before I release them to the public, as well as let them vote on which thumbnails I use for my videos, and of course they get more direct access to me. Now I'd like to shout out Paul Smith, who just signed back up as a Patreon king. Patreon kings get everything the aristocrats get, plus they get to have a 30 minute monthly private voice chat with me over Discord, where we can talk about whatever he wants, whenever he wants. It's easy to cancel or lower your membership if you don't need the king tier anymore, and it's easy to sign back up if you want another chat. Finally, for the love of all that is holy, please subscribe, bless that thumbs up button, and ring that bell notification. And I strongly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it from over 50 countries around the world. So thanks for watching this video, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.